Hello and welcome to PFF Fantasy Football Podcast. I'm your host, Ian Harditz, and today we're continuing our positional rundown with a look at the ever-important running back position. Uh, had a couple... Maybe some would argue a few too many drinks last night and kind of went on a Twitter rampage at like 1 a.m. barking about how at every level of football, you grow up on the playground, high school, college, the best players usually on your team are playing running back or at a minimum, the coaches are trying to optimize that position. Only in the NFL do we get to the point where let's say next year Ezekiel Elliott goes for 2,000 total yards and 20 touchdowns. I remain convinced the first word out of most people's mouths would be how the Cowboys still shouldn't have paid him uh, that much money. So just one of those things where I, I do appreciate in fantasy football. Uh, is a running back the most important position? No. Should you pay running backs a bunch of money in the salary cap era? No. But we don't need to beat a freaking dead horse every single time we talk about running backs and just bring up how they're not paid. Like, you know, Dwayne, I, I'm just, I'm sorry, man. I usually I give you a better intro, but let's just get into this <laughs> for a second, man. Like, it's one of those things, like, what's going to happen when Zeke retires? Is everyone just going to look at his tenure and be like, never should have drafted him fourth overall, shouldn't have given him the contract, you know, he can literally go screw off? Or are we going to actually acknowledge that he's the third best Cowboys running back ever behind Emmett Smith and Tony Dorsett, man? I feel like unless you're an undrafted rookie running back who balls out for three years and then your team immediately cuts ties with them, that's like the only good scenario for the analytics crowd these days. What say you? No, dude, I totally get it. And, and we do get I- I know you do, I do, especially at our company. <laughs> like, we hear this stuff every day. You hear it enough already, like, on social media. Uh, and, and there's good reasons for it, obviously. But, yeah, like, I'm, I'm totally with you. And when I'm talking about fantasy and stuff like that, I just want to set all that aside, you know, because it's really two different things. Um, and so I want to be able to get excited about players for fantasy without having to go through all the other stuff. Like, I even had a guy today, like, I was just talking about, hey, man, let's just give Nick Chubb one year. Let's give him the Derrick Henry treatment and oh see what happens. Man. Some dude comes in behind. He's like, no, man, you got to maximize the contract. You got to protect his workload. And like, well, dude, this is not a real life tweet. This is a fantasy football tweet. We want a RB1 overall season from Nick Chubb. And I think he could do it, like, if you got the full workload. But I get it. I know where people are coming from, but I'm with you. It's like, hey, can we just set it? Can we... Even though they're very connected and that's why we love them, like on certain issues, can we just set them aside and just say, look, this is fantasy. And I feel like I almost have to preface that sometimes. If you're following me, you pretty much, you know, like I'll do some kind of football analytics stuff, but you pretty much know you're following a fantasy account. So I don't feel like I need everybody coming in, you know, and like where I've got to always say, oh, this is a fantasy tweet, not, not a real football tweet. Dude, the fact people are still falling for some of that stuff in the year 2022 is amazing. I think it was your, uh, it was like your fantasy rankings for wide receivers and uh, Derek Carr's brother David like quote tweets in and just talking about like, the disrespect to Devontae Adams or something like, come on. Fantasy football has been so big for 10 plus years. It's from an account with fantasy in the name. The graphic says fantasy. How are people still freaking falling for this? So uh, just just read people. Context clues uh, before like I didn't like even a, see that. I didn't even see that one. Dude, like people go out of their way to start all this shit on Twitter without even like reading the original thing. So it is what it is. You know, we got into this episode fast, Wayne. Let's go. Great day uh, to be great. But one of those things that you did mention about Nick Chubb getting that elite workload, uh, I think it's a, actually a good spot to kind of start because with running backs, uh, I have a article coming out on Friday and one of the points I made in the intro is just how important volume is these days. It always has been, but like we have running backs that are essentially in different stratospheres of opportunity. So it just doesn't matter like last year pick a stat any stat Javante Williams was significantly better than Najee Harris Javante also finished as the RB 26 in PPR points per game Najee was the RB 8 so like it's one of those things when the volume is that different 
even a great, even one of the best running backs in the league can't make up for, you know, 100 fewer rush attempts and half as many targets. So, and that's just the way football has been, man. Back in 2000, 19 different running backs had at least 300 touches. That was probably a great time to be a fantasy analyst. We could pay attention to efficiency. We could look more at, you know, the overall upside of the offensive environment because we had so many running backs with similar workloads. But as you can see here, screen sharing for the YouTube crowd. Love all of you. I mean, look, 2000, 2007, there were at least 11 running backs with 300 touches every single year 2008 2013 we had between 8 and 11 2014 just five bounced around a little bit 2019 we got a nice little bump up to nine 2020 and 2021 though just four running backs with at least 300 touches Najee Harris Jonathan Taylor Joe Mixon and Antonio Gibson just barely uh, got there last season so it is one of those things Dwayne and especially when we consider the differences in PPR um, you know, for running backs that are actually pass catchers, again, historically, one target worth about 2.7 carries in terms of expected fantasy points. Like, we, we can talk more about talent and efficiency at wide receiver and, you know, quarterback. Volume matters for those things. But, Dwayne, at running back, man, it really is not the only thing, but it's pretty damn close. Yeah, and I mean, just, like, if you take a step back and you think about it, like, with a running back, you're turning around and you're literally handing them the ball. Now, they still have to have skill, right? They have to read the offensive linemen, the linebackers, you know, all these different things. And there's different, there's varying levels of skill for sure. But at the end of the day, like you're turning around and you're giving the ball. If you're throwing them the ball, typically it's at or behind the line of scrimmage. The linebacker's five yards away versus a receiver has to get off of the release, right? Has to then continue to get separation or be able to win, you know, a contested catch situation, get over the top of a defense. They got to then be able to run after a catch. You know, there's just so many more pieces, you know, that go into say playing receiver or tight end, which is why with volume, like with running back, you know, it's so much more of a known factor, like if they're going to get the ball or not versus what a receiver has to do to get the ball. What I, what I found this really interesting you know, with, you know, the information, you know, that you've got up, um, you know, I was doing some digging into some of this as well. And what's interesting is if you go back to, you know, say 2007, 2008, you know, 2009, um, they were, they were running the ball 27 times a game, 27 and a half, 27.4 times a game in, in 07, 08, and 09, um, 27.1 in 2010. And what's funny is it's not that different today as far as teams rushing attempts per game. 26.1, 26.9, 26.6. I expected it to be a much bigger difference. But what's happening is more of the rushing attempts now, they're not all going to the running back. They're getting the receivers more involved and especially the quarterbacks. The quarterbacks are much more involved now in today's NFL in the run game. So if you look at it from just a running back standpoint, in 2007, 2008, 2009, average uh, rushing attempts per game, 20. 23.5, 23.8, 23.6. But if you look at the last three years, 21.7, 21.8, 21.6. So a little bit bigger difference, you know, as far as the running back drop off versus the overall uh, change in how much teams may rush versus pass. Yeah, man, it's all good points. And like I brought up Michael Vick a few times with Josh Allen, the rushing touchdowns, but just looking at him more from like a volume standpoint, again, just like the most obvious dual threat quarterback of the era, arguably ever some of the things he was able to do. Like Mike Vick never surpassed 123 rush attempts in a season. Like I'm, you know, pulling up the numbers now, but we have now these days a handful of quarterbacks, you know, going over triple digit uh, carries throughout a year. You know, Lamar Jackson's obviously, I think he owns the top three or Jalen Hurts might now be in there, but before, 
before last year, Lamar Jackson owned the top three seasons in total rush attempts. Jalen Hurts was on pace to shatter that before he got a little banged up. Kyler is, is always there. Josh Allen is always, always there. Um, and as we've talked about too, Dwayne, like when you have these rushing quarterbacks, it really does hurt things for the running backs. Not only do we have them taking away some of that rushing pie, we also have them scrambling instead of throwing those ever-important fantasy-friendly targets. So that is one of the things we're going to be talk about, talking about on this episode too is you know the size of the backfields and also paying particular attention to the quarterbacks at hand. But here we go, finally. Last year, yeah, Jalen Hurts, 140 rush attempts. Lamar Jackson, 133. Josh Allen, 122. Kyler Murray, 88. And only 12 games, I believe, he played. So essentially, yeah, we Lamar have... Jackson missed games too. I mean, those numbers would be you know a lot higher for those guys. And we know Fields is going to go up. Once Trey, Trey Lance, Lance gets on yeah. the field, he's going to get more. So it's only a trend um, that's really going to continue where you used to have one elite guy that could do it like Mike Vick, or if you want to go back a generation before with Randall Cunningham, mm-hmm. now you've got four or five players in the league that can do it. And it's probably only going to expand. Like yeah. most likely in the next five to six years, you're going to look up and you're going to see seven or eight. I think there'll be 12 to 15 of them in the league, but you still have to be able to play quarterback too. You got to be able to do both things. Um, and I don't think that's going to be as easy to find as what people think. We kind of had that Malik Willis conversation yesterday. All right, with all that said, let's get into our running back ranks. If you guys didn't catch our Tuesday edition, we went through all things quarterback, running back today, wide receiver tomorrow, and you guessed it, tight end on Friday. Also, side note, fun times, but starting next Wednesday at 5 p.m., Dwayne and myself going to be doing best ball season. Just trying to help, you know, show you guys exactly what we're thinking and hopefully get our ranks in a far better space. I don't know about you, Dwayne, but, like, it takes me probably – I don't know, five to 10, like best ball drafts or mock drafts, you know, really getting in, getting into the action because like, it's easy to set these ranks on our own. You know, when it's just us looking at that spreadsheet without too much, uh, you know, money exactly going behind it. But once you're actually on the clock and you got to all of a sudden pick between these guys, I think it forces you to really start solidifying those things and ultimately, uh, you know, just get better rankings in there. So that'll be happening next Wednesday at five. And I also had someone reach out, Dwayne, have you seen these uh, Twitter communities? Uh, Yeah. Yeah, I haven't I haven't studied them a lot, but I've actually had a couple people reach out to me about them as well. Yeah, I had someone bring up the idea maybe we could uh, do one for the podcast. So if you guys are potentially interested in that, um, I would not be against that at all. At a minimum, I want to likely use those Twitter communities uh, during the season to do all of our start sit stuff there. Um, I, I love all my Twitter followers. Yeah, I know, I know a lot of people, uh, you know, are kind enough to have me on notifications, but my God, it's gotta be annoying as hell getting 50 plus notifications Sunday morning that are just one word player names. I don't know why notifications uh, include all the mentions and stuff. So the community aspect of it is very interesting. Uh, that and the best ball get some more interaction uh, with all you listeners out there. Dwayne and I truly do appreciate you. And um, you know, we got, we got plenty of time this offseason i think we can all uh talk and have a grand old um time of it so with that said Dwayne, our running back ranks we do have some more differences than we did at quarterback but not so much at the top which should be expected i mean number one jonathan taylor you know i was sitting here about a month or two ago looking at christian mccaffrey number one i still think that he does have that in his you know potential range of outcomes ultimately if carolina you know could have even improved their quarterback position a little bit i might have really taken that leap instead i'm going to save myself you know all the hundreds of angry ats arguing over a one spot difference at the top of a fantasy draft we'll go with jonathan taylor rb1 christian 
McCaffrey, RB2, Austin Eckler, RB3, and Derrick Henry, RB4. Now, I actually did my bet. I changed uh, Leonard Fournette for my article. He is my RB5 as well. Najee Harris, RB6, James Conner, RB7. So we're actually in line on our first seven running backs. Dwayne, I don't think too many people are going to be in an uproar about Taylor, McCaffrey, Eckler, Henry at the top. And that's the thing with the McCaffrey hate. Like, it's either someone saying, like, I'm just never going to touch McCaffrey again because he's a 25-year-old coming off an ankle sprain and a hamstring pull. Apparently, that's the criteria folks want to use to fade the man forever. But rationally, putting your rankings in writing, I would be shocked to see anyone conclude that McCaffrey is anything other than a top five and honestly top two to three running back in fantasy land. After the top four, though, is where things get a little interesting. Right now, Dwayne, the underdog ADP is going to catch up, I'm sure. But like Leonard Fournette is going RB25. James Conner is even lower. These are workhorse running backs. I understand they weren't last year. We've seen some ups and downs throughout both guys' careers. But based on the most relevant sample we have, based on their depth charts right now, Leonard Fournette and James Conner have a legit chance to not be leaving the field and vie for the overall touch count lead in the entire NFL. Yeah, and I think with Fournette, the nice thing, you know, even though he's, you know, he'll be 28 this season, you know, it's the offense that he gets to play in. Yeah, you know, I mean, whenever you get to play for the Bucs, you know, you're playing in a top five offense. So I get excited about that. James Conner, you know, the Cardinals are not as good of an offense as the Buccaneers, but you still feel good about the quarterback play, you know, with Kyler Murray. And we definitely saw what can happen with James Conner when you don't have Chase Edmonds. Now, I will say, I do believe Leonard Fournette and James Conner are probably two of the backs that are at most risk of having someone added to the back that we have in our top 10 yeah. of having someone added to the backfield via the draft. Like would it totally shock us if for some reason the Bucks took, you know, uh, a pass catching back to go with Leonard Fournette, even though he's been really good in the passing game, um, you know, targets per route run last year, 0.23, which is freaking ridiculous. <laughs> um, so, I mean, the more that Leonard Fournette can be on the field in the passing downs, obviously the more he's going to add, but if they were to add someone, I think that these guys, because they are a little older, um, you know, and you know, they don't, you know, Fournette's got a nice contract, but I, those are the guys I think are most at risk, you know, as far as a running back coming in and shaking things up a little bit for the ranks. Whereas with Najee Harris, we know the Steelers, you know, they just spent a first round pick on Harris. I don't think there's really any risk there. Um, Dalvin Cook, you've already got Alexander Madison. Um, and you know, Cook is really more of a concern around, around injury and things like that. You know, so Mixon, I don't think given what they've done, that they'll add someone, I guess they could. But I really feel like Fournette and Connor are the two that could change the most based on the draft. Fournette last year, he was a top five running back. Like, pick a stat, any stat. Expected fantasy points per game. He was RB4 ahead of freaking McCaffrey, Eckler, and Jonathan Taylor. Realized fantasy points per game. Number four behind only Eckler, Taylor, and Henry. Like, I know he got hurt at the end. But by the end of the year, like, he had already even overtaken not only Ronald Jones, but also Giovanni Bernard for that pass down role. James Conner is the one that seems to be getting a little more pushback. And, yeah, Dwayne, I yes, they will add a running back. But we'll see. Right now it's him and Eno. If they're just going to add a sixth or seventh rounder, it's going to be tough to keep Connor outside of this top 10 based on the most relevant sample. We have five games last year. Chase Edmonds was either out for the whole game. I think he got hurt like on the first or second play of another game in those contests as I am finding my handy dandy stats. I mean, it really was just uh, wild, the rates that Connor was able to put up there. Um, you see him in those five games. Oh my God, I've been tweeting out a lot of people today. Um, you look, oh my gosh, Ian, find it. 
Anyway, Cliff Kingsbury, ever since he's really gone to Arizona, we have seen him time and time again willing to give whoever it was, whether it's James Conner, James Conner, Kenyon Drake, David Johnson. Um, we even saw it a couple games with Chase Edmonds. Yes, even with Chase Edmonds. He gives these guys 90% snap rolls. Like, it's the Todd Gurley, like Sean McVay role from back in the day. Cliff Kingsbury is still willing, uh, willing to do it. Okay, here we go. Like if, you, five if, games. if you're from the school of, hey, these running backs really need to earn carries based on doing things above what other backs do, I think that's also where James Conner gets in the most risk, right? You know, I mean, he was he was nice last year. He's 81.9 PFF receiving grade. You look at his explosive explosive run rate was a 7%. That's below the league average of 10.5%. Same thing for Fournette. He was at 8%. You look at yards after contact, Conner was at 2.81. The league average is 2.93. So, I mean, he was missed tackles forced. You know, he was slightly over the league average. But it's not like James Conner and Fournette, from an efficiency standpoint, were blowing away like what other backs in the league are doing. So, so if you are someone that believes that players that are basically performing at the NFL average or slightly better are at risk of losing touches to other players, then yeah, fine. You can move Fournette and Connor down your ranks. I just think right now when you look at the rest of the backfield until they add someone, like it's really hard to imagine like who's going to steal from Connor or Fournette right now. And let's, again, one common theme here. I don't want to penalize certain running backs for one thing and then not use that same criteria for another guy. Like, Derrick Henry wasn't all that efficient last year. I don't see anyone holding that against him. Why? Because of his ridiculous volume, which we're also thinking Fournette and Connor will have. But finally, here is the five-game split. James Connor combined carries and targets 26 14 and a 24 point blowout, pretty fluky. 26 after, or 27 after that, 22 and then 21 and like catching legit like 5, 3, 5, 2, 9 passes. Snap rates, here we go 77%, 82%, 82%, 91%, 91%, and 96%. Maybe they'll add, if they add Melvin Gordon, everything will change. And guess what? Dwayne, we'll change our ranks when we get new information. It's freaking March 30th right here. It's the first run through. Uh, these things will continue to be updated throughout the entire offseason. Final point hey, here. Hey, real, real quick. Yeah. Oh, go ahead. I was going to say something on Henry when you're done. Yeah, I was going to say uh, the, the money situation, man, like for both Connor and Fournette, they're in a pretty nice group. I mean, there's only yeah. 12 running backs that are actually on a contract worth at least $20 million. Ezekiel Elliott, Alvin Kamara, Christian McCaffrey, Dalvin Cook, Derrick Henry, Aaron Jones, Joe Mixon, Nick Chubb, Saquon Barkley, Austin Eckler, and now James Connor and Leonard Fournette. So we got the money. We got a weak backfield. We got a proven splits for both guys of them being a legit three-down workhorse. Let's monitor the rosters, but things are looking good. Yeah. As far as um, Henry, just real quick. So number one, we know that he's over that 1500 carry threshold um, that we've talked about with Tej before in the past. And so there is some reason for concern. He's going to be 28 years old this season. Um, And if you look at the last three years, there's a downward trend. His missed tackles force per attempt, um, 19% to 20% to 15% last year. Yards after contact, 4.2 to 3.9 to 3.2 in 2021. Explosive rush rate, so those are carries of 10 yards or more, 14% in 2019, 2020 fell to 13%, and last year fell to 9%. So we've got a player that's above the 1,500, they're at age 28, and we're seeing the underlying metrics already starting to say that there could be a downward trend. So with Henry, just be aware, like there's a lot of risk taking Derrick Henry in the first round. There's also a lot of upside because Tennessee will run the ball more than anyone. Mike Vrabel does not carry. They could be losing by 35 points. He'll still hand the ball to Derrick Henry. 
That's that's what insulates Derrick Henry from some of these other backs that don't have passing down roles, right? Because most backs that don't get the passing work, we never consider them to be like top 10, top five backs. Um, But with Henry, it's because they are so committed to the running game no matter what what is happening with the game script. That helps protect him. Jonathan Taylor, honestly... It's kind of similar to that. You know, Taylor obviously is well ahead of this curve and is eight. he'll only be 24 years old. All these metrics still look really great for him. But the Colts are kind of a, a knockoff version almost right now in the way that they're handling their game scripts um, to Tennessee. So even when they're behind, when they're leading, which helps him. But even Jonathan Taylor carries, and I know we'll talk more next week about like when you combine everything, receivers, running backs, quarterbacks, you know, what are we talking about? And then we'll play that out as we start to do drafts. But the one thing to consider with Taylor at the top, like you may want to take Cooper Cup in a PPR. I do think there's some additional Taylor. Look, you're never going to go wrong. If you have the 101, you're going to want exposure to him. But I do want to say, like, if for some reason all of a sudden the Colts did trail a lot more next year or didn't lead as much, um, and we know that they have Naheem Hines that stays involved, like I think there could be a little more variance in Taylor's week-to-week performances next season. It's not I'm not saying don't take him at the top. Just realize there are certain risks with um, Jonathan Taylor, just like, you know, people are concerned about a risk of re-injury with Christian McCaffrey. Every player, you got to look at the pros and cons. Jonathan Taylor, the biggest overachiever in the NFL last season in terms of fantasy points above expectation. And yeah, he's a freaking monster, uh, Dwayne. You said that he's him, Javante, Nick Chubb, top three running backs. If we just had the same workload for everyone, I don't disagree with that. But man, expecting him to, again, just be clear cut far and away the best running back in the world. Not saying it can't happen. Uh, He just might need to be to make up for a workload that isn't quite as elite um, as I think some people realize. But once again, I mean, even the biggest Jonathan Taylor hater is going to be hard-pressed to move him too far down in the old ranks. Hopefully they do throw the ball a little more to Derrick Henry. Low-key last year, 18 catches in eight games. I mean, his career high is only 19, so he was on pace to shatter that. They did bring back Dontrell Hilliard, and it's kind of like Cincinnati, man. Like, they did this shit to Derrick Henry, too. Like, we all saw Samaje P. Ryan on the field, fourth down, <laughs> fourth down and one and the Super Bowl. This, the uh, Titans did that week two against the Seahawks, late in the fourth quarter on fourth and one, and Jeremy freaking McNichols was on the field instead of Derrick Henry. So I think it ended up working out. I think they might have actually lost that game. That particular play wasn't the reason why they lost or anything like that. But, yeah, unfortunately, even though you're paying the man, even though he is King Henry, you know, Mr. 2000, 27 yards, like we're still going to see, you know, the, the third down running back just find his way into the lineup more times than we would prefer. After these guys, again, we got Taylor, McCaffrey, Eckler, Henry, Fournette, Najee, just all the volume in the world, James Conner. After that is where things get a little bit interesting. I actually have... Dwayne, Saquon Barkley, RB8. A lot of folks have been, you know, big mad online about this. And he will be moving down in my ranks only because, like, I'm not going to draft Saquon in the first or second round if his ADP isn't going to be until the third round. Like, that's another thing with these ranks. You know, we're trying to guide who you're going to be drafting, not trying to make you just take a big stand on Saquon Barkley when we could actually get him a couple rounds later. But as as far as I see it, Dwayne, like, looking at every single backfield in the league, I think there are six situations of... uh, running back being somewhere where they legit might be given the chance to seldom leave the field. Those six situations are going to include Saquon Barkley, Najee Harris, as I get the rest of them, Saquon Barkley, Najee Harris, Christian McCaffrey, Leonard Fournette, James Conner, and Dalvin Cook. So we'll talk about Cook in a second, but why are we fading Saquon Barkley? Because he wasn't good last year? Like, yeah, I saw it. It wasn't great. 
He was getting as big as a role as just about anyone before he got injured again. He's in an offense that, let's see, who have they brought in to compete with him? Matt Breida, whose coach just benched him for almost the entire season in Buffalo. He came out on that one Thanksgiving day. He was supposed to be used all of a sudden more. Wasn't. I mean, freaking uh, Booker was actually being used alongside Saquon. We talked on the pod throughout the year how concerning it was that we couldn't really tell a big difference between Saquon and Booker regardless of who had the ball in their hands. I get it. I've, I've heard some trade rumors, but man, if the season started tomorrow, this is one of those things, Dwayne. If the season started tomorrow, Everyone wants to rank Saquon Barkley as an RB15 or something. I think you'd be hard-pressed to keep him out of the top eight, top ten if we were actually setting for week one, though. Yeah, I think the volume, I mean, obviously we get excited about. We know that he's been able to be um, a multi-down back or an every-down back before in his career. Uh, The big concern for me, you know, is really, and this could be injury-induced. We talked about this a little bit yesterday. But it's just everything about Saquon, you know, is down over the last three years. You know, if you look at, you know, his... um, you know, rushes avoided per attempt or his tackles, missed tackles forced per attempt, 19% down to 16%, down to 12%. His explosive carries 10 yards or more, 12% down to 5% and then 6%. Um, you know, even his PFF rushing grades like have continued to go down. So what we, what you have to figure out with Saquon and it's really like, was it more injury last year or really is the juice gone? Um, because in his game and the way he plays, he needs the ability to hit the big, the big long runs, right? Because he's the kind of guy that he'll lose a yard, he'll gain one yard, he'll lose two yards, but then he'll buff, bust off a 60-yarder and everything's okay. And so I think with Barkley, um, you know, and who knows how much action he'll get in preseason, but if he were to get carries in the preseason, he would be a player. Because a lot of preseason players, we don't care. We don't, we don't have to watch all those games. You know, we pay attention, obviously, to the trends and who's playing with the starters, that kind of stuff. But Barkley would be a player I would actually be very interested in seeing get, you know, a few snaps in the preseason just to see, like, can we catch a glimpse of is potentially the old Saquon Barkley living in there somewhere? And I think that's the question. That's what it comes down to. I agree with you that the workload is probably going to be there. And I would put him, you know, in a similar group. Like if you look at the tier, um, you know, that I've got him in right now, um, I think it's easy that he could move to the top of that tier. I've got him in the 2B tier, um, which has Brees Hall, David Montgomery, Travis Etienne, Saquon Barkley, J.K. Dobbins, Cam Akers, and Antonio Gibson. I could easily see moving Barkley to the top of that tier. I could also see him jumping up into the tier above. Like the tier above really is kind of like these players that have super high efficiency metrics. They just We just don't know for sure if the workload's going to be there. The tier below... Um, it's kind of a mixed bag of guys where they've kind of got some of that going on. Or, yeah, we think they're going to have the full role, but, like, can they be efficient at all? And that's really where Barkley comes in. But I'm with you. I think there's a wide range here. And I wouldn't be surprised that, you know, to see Barkley move up, even in my ranks, and end up somewhere closer to the top 12. I understand 2021 Saquon was a far cry from the guy we saw in 2018, even 2019. I still think we can put together a 60-second highlight clip and people will be surprised what they saw. The double move touchdown against the Chargers. The, you know, one big run he had against the Eagles. Now, unfortunately, Saquon has this, uh, you know, kind of Tyler Lockett um, effect where whenever he has a big game, people just take away his big plays and they say, well, look at all the other carries where he did nothing. You can't do that with him because of the style, stylistically how he plays. Like you, Exactly. You, so. Yeah. 
it's yeah. it is a concern but i will say you know you look at saquon versus guys like kamara versus uh deandre swift like they're all in bad to mid offenses i think saquon has a higher rushing uh floor than both of them and as a pass catcher man like we've seen him catch 90 balls in a season that was a couple years ago different offense i know daniel jones runs the ball more than uh, eli manning ever did and stuff but i just really think again pure volume saquon's ceiling is as good as anyone and i want to be really careful about penalizing him for not having the best rushing numbers when like look at Najee Harris man like it's not like we're getting behind him because he's some freaking stud he's got a new he's got Mitch Trubisky under center and probably a not great offense either and we're hoping he just gets overwhelming volume which I think is a pretty safe bet uh wouldn't put that past Saquon Barkley as well so again I'll be moving him down a little bit because I again that's the thing about rankings you know we're trying to play a game where we do want to point out the guys like I I won Saquon in round three so I'm going to be higher on consensus than him but I'm I'm not going to try to be setting up people will necessarily uh, take him in round one. If you can get Kamara and then Saquon later on the same squad, why the hell not? But enough about Mr. Barkley. Let's look at the next two guys. Uh, conveniently, Dwayne, you got the two dudes with legal problems right next to each other, Dalvin Cook and Alvin Kamara. We will see how both of those situations play out. On the one hand, with Dalvin, like we, we've seen the 200-plus yard rushing games. You know, sometimes I feel like he's just being shot out of a cannon in every single play. Uh, he can catch the ball. He can do everything. He's a great running back. He is starting to get up there a little bit in age. We have the legal concerns. The shoulder injuries are something that I don't think is going away. I think you can argue that those are more concerning than anything that's happened to Henry or McCaffrey just from a pure injury perspective over the years. And you got to think about life in a new offense. Will he continue to be so featured or perhaps could still Still only 23-year-old Alexander Madison work his way more into the squad. I don't disagree with Dalvin Cook at 8, Dwayne. I have him RB9. I listed them as one of the workhorses. Like I, It's very hard to find a way if Dalvin's on the field that he's going to bust. With that said, man, at this point in these first rounds, I'm probably going to be taking the dope wide receivers. Yeah, I am too. Yeah, I'm, 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 I'm going to be... Passing on Cook. I mean, honestly, um, the other part of it is like just looking at ADP, if you really felt like you wanted to have a back like in your first two rounds, like I don't see a reason to foul, to force Dalvin Cook over Leonard Fournette. Like, so if you if you take an elite receiver at the end of round one and then you could turn around and you could take Fournette if you wanted or go wide receiver, wide receiver. I just like that path better than having to spend that pick, you know, on Dalvin Cook, um, given all the things that you just talked about. Joe Mixon, your RB10, my RB12. Last year, we brought to you all Joe Mixon as an RB1, and we're largely chastised for it because he was just supposed to get hurt and not be able to play for the whole year. That obviously did not come to fruition. But now, Dwayne, look, the reason why myself and you and many others had Mixon ranked as highly as we did last year was because of the allure of that pass-down role. We heard about it in the offseason. We knew, even going back to the Oklahoma days, that Mixon was a high-caliber receiver. He didn't exactly get that role. Samaj Piran and Chris Evans literally had exactly as many targets last year as Joe Mixon did. We all saw what happened in the Super Bowl. Yeah, maybe they use what happened and they say, all right, Joe, like you're never leaving, leaving the field and he gets this big workload that we haven't seen to this point. I understand that Piran and Chris Evans, you know, aren't the stiffest competition uh, in the world. With that said, man, shouldn't exactly expect it to change. And, you know, for everyone screaming touchdown regression for James Conner, I don't exactly hear those same cries for Austin Eckler and Joe Mixon. I know the Bengals and Chargers offenses should be projected higher, but Joe Mixon is just someone, man, where, yeah, he got the 300-plus touches last year, came with a good amount of positive game script, and without that receiving role, I do think in a full 
PPR game that we're playing, man, you do have to put him behind some of the true three-down workhorses and someone like Kamara. And I would actually argue DeAndre Swift, who just have a chance to win out based purely on that target upside. Yeah, and I think that's fine. I mean, Mixon, you know, he would be higher if we thought he had the upside, you know, in the passing game. Um, but they like to have another back out there in long down and distance. Sometimes he gets the two-minute offense. Other day, other weeks he doesn't. It was a bit sporadic. Like he was really solid as a rusher last year, an 81.6 PFF rushing grade, which is, you know, going to be in the top 10, you know, for the league. Um, but 42.2 PFF pass blocking grade. So that could be another issue of why they're not getting him, leaving him on the field, especially in like long down and distance uh, scenarios where, you know, you're not wanting to dump it down to a back. You're wanting to get the ball out to a receiver. And then the, the running back really becomes still becomes a check down in those situations, but not as important, you know, as the two minute offense. So, for me, with Mixon, I agree. There could be definitely some, you know, if you look at his big weeks, he was scoring multiple touchdowns. And again, like you mentioned, the Bengals offense, we would expect to probably be in the top five if they continue to move forward, take that step based on what we saw at the end of the season. So there's a lot of potential here for Mixon as far as touchdowns go. But you and I both know like how up and down touchdowns can be. And for the, you know, the naysayers out there that are like, hey, Mixon just finished as a top five running back. How are you just not going to put him as that moving forward? Looking at 2022, if we were if we got to set our 2021 ranks after the season was already over with, of course we would have Mixon where he freaking just finished. Uh, just realize that looking at this, I mean, look, McCaffrey hurt, Henry hurt, uh, Dalvin Cook was banged up, Kamara was banged up, James Conner and Fournette have newfound situations that their workload's going to be bonkers. Like once you kind of look through the differences and why they're being made again, most of it comes down uh, to volume. Nobody's debating how good Mixon is, and the offensive line improvements should help. But once again, man. Offensive line, like it's just one of those things that year over year you don't see a ton of correlation uh, with it directly leading to fantasy points. We'll take the great offensive line we can get it. I'm fine using it as a tiebreaker, but ultimately we're just chasing that sweet, sweet volume and the messed up game we play rewards receptions more than it probably should. Javante Williams, Melvin Gordon, still a free agent. Broncos still saying they're not against bringing him back. This is big, Dwayne. Right now, I have him RB15 under the assumption that Gordon does come back. Is that why you have him at RB11 as well, or are you kind of I've, I've split. Right I've split the difference, honestly. Okay. Like, if, if Gordon signs, I'm going to bump him down a little bit. But if Gordon doesn't sign, like, I would move him to two, <laughs> you know? Um, so, it's, it's look, I, he definitely – I think he belongs in the top five, no doubt. Um, if if you don't get Melvin Gordon returning, just based on every all the underlying things, the things we love about Nick Chubb, the things we love about Jonathan Taylor, and if look, I get it. Maybe he's not as good as those two players, but all we can do is go by the data that we have. Missed tackles forced per, per attempt, 0.31, number one, you know, in the NFL. You know, if you look at his rushing grade, it was really good. His yards after contact, 3.42. Um, so that's a full half yard above the NFL average over the last three years. Um, look at his explosive play rate. Um, it's 2% above the NFL average over the last three years. So he's a plus like across the board. Like the the only other two backs that you look at that are as plus across three different categories like that are Jonathan Taylor and Nick Chubb. And that's kind of why I have this tier of Williams, Swift, Chubb, and Aaron Jones. All of them were really good as far as, or at least Williams, Chubb, and Jones really great as far as their underlying efficiency. Um, DeAndre Swift, not so much, but we know what he can do in the receiving game. Um, so I, I have those as a tier. Like those are guys that right now we're kind of projecting, uh, you know, 
for Javante, most likely a shared role. For the other guys, it's a for sure shared backfield. Um, but we know that they can still score enough fantasy points to stand on their own. And if for some reason their teammate went down, wow, you're looking at something really huge. I mean, I think Aaron Jones right now, like he's a player I had to relook at. You know, I mean, looking at every metric that I looked at for him was really good as well. Plus the fact now that with Devontae Adams gone, like what are we going to do with the target share when we project Aaron Jones? Javante Williams, one game without Mofan Gordon last year, goes ahead and pulls off an RB1 finish. 23 carries, 102 rush yards, nine targets, six catches, 76 yards, and a score, 78% snap rate. Mike Boone, four carries, one target. Yeah, guess what? Uh, the one touchdown, the receiving touchdown, was in garbage time, and a bunch of those yards, 34 of them exactly, uh, came on like a bullshit play at the end of the first half. The type of fantasy-friendly opportunities that you get when you are an every-down workhorse running back like Javante would be without Mofan Gordon, the overall RB2 if Melvin Gordon decides not and to. And even as far as the passing game, like when you compare the two players, because they go, they both got to play some on long down distance, they both got to play in the two-minute offense, 19% targets per route run versus 14% for Melvin Gordon. So, like, Javante, like, man, he checks every single box. It's just what is the volume going to be? Um, I think right now on underdog, like, his ADP is already RB7. So, I mean, people are already on it. Um, they're ahead on Javante Williams. They want exposure to the big breakout year from Williams. They want this year's Jonathan Taylor. And look, if you have to go down this list and try to pick a young player that could be the Jonathan Taylor this year, most people, they're, it's going to land on Javante Williams. So he's not going to be cheap. Dwayne's 2A tier. Again, Javante Williams, DeAndre Swift, Nick Chubb, and Aaron Jones. Swift, your RB12, my RB11. It's just those sweet, sweet, sweet targets. Now, it is a little bit concerning, Dwayne, because I guess this yeah. is kind of the point yes. where we start looking at all these running backs. And Swift and now then Chubb, those are the first two that are legitimately sharing their backfield. Jamal Williams is going to get over 150 touches likely next year. Now, we saw... It's tough to tell with Williams because as much as – and I do think he's a – like he's literally available in like the final rounds of best ball drafts. You could do worse than uh, scooping up Jamal Williams there if you're still in need of a little bit RB def. Now, he was dealing with – he had the hip injury and then the groin injury, so I'm not sure if he was healthy, if maybe he would have more of a workhorse role when Swift was out. So I'm not exactly sure how we can place him as a handcuff. But just focusing on Swift for now – I get it. Those targets are great. There was a little bit, you know, he was kind of like the Jalen Hurts of running backs where, let's face it, a lot of them were coming in complete garbage mop-up time. All fantasy points count the same. Uh, it isn't, you know, it is a situation, though, Dwayne, where we're starting to buy Swift far closer to his ceiling than his floor. And a lot of those underlying metrics, running the ball, not receiving, but running the ball, really don't make Swift look all that good. He was, I think, starting to improve. Uh, he had the Steelers game. Um, he was having another big game right before he got hurt where he was starting to break a lot more tackles on the ground. Uh, but again, it's still something that we haven't seen. His explosive play time. rate really kind of saved him because <laughs> he broke some some long runs. You know, he's at 14%, you know, explosive, uh, you know, 10 plus yard carries um, per attempt. And so he was basically almost 4% above the league average, three and a half percent above the league average. That really saved him because his missed tackles forced per attempt, 11%. That's, that's 7%, sorry, 6% below the NFL average for running backs over the last three years. Look at his um, yards after contact, a 2.40. The league average over the last year, three years, is 2.93. So he's almost a half yard below that. So really it was the receiving volume, playing in the two-minute offense with the Lions, trailing all the time and hitting yeah. big plays. So I do – I'm with you. I have I have some concerns about Swift, but it's, he's, it's the fact that he's still 24. He was still a first-round pick. 
Um, it's hard to get too low on him. And we probably think the Lions are going to be losing quite a bit again this season. So it's like, I don't know how much is going to change. Should they lose as bad and buy as, as large of margins as they did as last year? Maybe not. Like we may see them take, you know, the, the, the kneecap biters may take a step forward <laughs> and get a little more scrappy. And to your point, if that happens, I do expect Jamal Williams to carry a bigger role. I do think this will continue to be a, um, a true split backfield. But again, we're wrong on predicting these things sometimes. And so if you had to lean one way or the other, like you would say, well, if one of these guys is going to take over the backfield, it's going to be the guy that they put the draft capital into. But I definitely think that there are um, there's po- there are positives with DeAndre Swift, but there are also red flags. Right now on underdog, he's going as the RB10, pick 19 in ADP. God. So, I mean, you, you got to pay. You got to pay a mid-second to get him. Last year, we were drafting him in the late third and the mid-fourth by the time the, the late summer got here because of, you know, people getting concerned uh, because he wasn't practicing and they weren't being very open, right, about. And all of a sudden it became, oh, is he going to play week one? And so you got to buy the dip. Right now, I don't, you know, you're probably not going to get that same kind of opportunity this offseason. You're going to have to pay up for that mid second, which is going to be tough when you start talking about the receivers and some of the other players that we could be taking in that range. I don't see myself most likely wanting to take DeAndre Swift over CD Lamb. I think I'm really going to struggle with that. Especially when we can, you know, chill for a couple rounds and then, I don't know, get the arbitrage version, Travis Etienne, in round four if we really want to. So, something to keep in mind there. After Swift, Nick Chubb. Yeah, man, everyone loves Nick Chubb. He's arguably the best running back in the entire NFL. He has consistently been able to still turn in RB1 production uh, despite not getting the full-fledged workload. But, yeah, we cannot expect him to get that full workload. And, honestly, man, again, who knows with the Deshaun Watson suspension, but, like... You could argue that life with Jacoby Brissett under center man for potentially like eight games. Like that's a downgrade from Baker, I would say. Like I know that that's the new cool thing and just completely uh, shit on Baker. And I know I've done uh, quite a bit of that myself over the years. I was, uh, was going to say like, are you talking about yourself? <laughs> <laughs> I'm just like, look, Baker, I, don't, I think we all know Baker is not a top 10 quarterback, but he legitimately has two stretches in 2018 and 2020 where he played at a higher level than Jacoby Brissett ever played for at any point in in his career. So at least with Baker, you had the potential. I would much rather see Baker under center than Jacoby. Yes. Jacoby yes. is a complete game manager um, that any good defense can throw him off his game. Like like Baker, again, to your point, like he's not an elite quarterback or anything, but I'd much rather have him under center early in the season. And plus playing for something. You know, he's kind of got that streak to him. You know, like Baker is kind of like wants to put everything on his shoulders against all odds kind of guy. Like give him his chance, man. Let him play the play him six games or whatever and get a shot at, you know, going to another team. I think it's going to be better for the Browns organization and from a win-loss perspective. See, I don't know that like like did you move Chubb? Did you how did you move Chubb at all after the Watson trade? Uh I did not. Um no. No, I didn't. Rudimentary idea, like, okay, if Baker is a 6 out of 10, Deshaun's an 8 out of 10, and Jacoby is like a 4 out of 10, if we're getting now half of Watson, and then Jacoby... Oh, I moved in like, like 3, my bad. Yeah, okay. sorry, I was looking at the wrong column. Yeah. Again, depends on the suspension, but you could argue the downgrade with, with Jacoby, you know, combined with the upside of Watson, if it's going to be half the season each, you could almost call that a wash. And as we've seen with Watson... I know Lamar Miller had some okay enough years fantasy-wise with the Texans, but Watson does fit that criteria of a quarterback that is going to scramble, hold the ball, you know, take a sack as opposed to checking it down, and he could also, you know, function into the team's run game. But, Dwayne, the biggest issue here is not only Kareem Hunt, but also Dearness Johnson. Now, 
The one caveat just, just is for, that while you're talking, Ian, yeah. scroll to the right. Let people see the blue Christmas tree <laughs> for Nick Chubb. Like, come on, man. I made oh, the Christmas tree just for you. <laughs> like all those things that we care about right there, that PFF rushing grade, the PFF, uh, look at him even kind of blue in the receiving grade, but looking at the missed tackles for us, 25% yards after contact, 4.25 explosive carries, 18%. That's number one for backs with 150 carries for explosive rush rate. That's number one for yards after contact for, for backs with 150 carries. And he's number three on missed tackles forced uh, per attempt. Like the dude is just nuts. I just, I want to just, I just want one season. I just want one season of 300 touches for Nick Chubb. Like, come on. I just, I know it's, I know we're not going to get it, but like, I'd love to see it. Shout out to you for changing your conditional formatting from the not so colorblind friendly green and red to the blue and red. We need a different name uh, for the Christmas tree. What was that like? <laughs> yeah, what are we going to What was that blue now? thing in a Titanic called that jewel that that, chick just like chucked off the side of the boat for no Dude, good reason. you have the most random memories of shit. I have no clue what that was called. <laughs> <laughs> well, once we figure that out, maybe uh, that could be the name. Something that we can uh, worry about the rest of the offseason. Anyway, with Chubb, it's not like he's two injuries away from getting that role, Dwayne. That's the problem. So yeah. the one caveat was in week 17, you know, I we were all kind of bitching about it, but a must-win game for the Browns. Like, they were still technically alive in the playoffs. Everything should have been done in their power to win this game. Like, their season was not exactly mathematically over yet. There was no Kareem Hunt, and Dearness Johnson outsnapped Nick Chubb. Now, Nick Chubb was playing with a rib injury, but, man, if he's playing, you know, last game of the year, can't hold anything back, you would think that, uh, and he was out there for Week 18 when it was meaningless, too, so I don't know. It's just a situation where credit to Dearness Johnson. He was fantastic last year. You know, good luck picking a metric that paints him as anything other than an elite running back, obviously a smaller sample size, uh, but yeah, with Nick Chubb, unfortunately, it's just going to be tough to see him uh, having that top, top, top tier ceiling. And, you know, we are trying to f- go first or last in the fantasy title. Well, maybe second to last, depending on on some of your last place punishments, uh, you <laughs> savages out there. Uh, so that's just, you know, in terms of Chubb, like I think he has a higher floor um, than a lot of people maybe going in this range, but just that top best case uh, sn- scenario ceiling outcome might be out of his reach. Nothing uh, that he can really do about it. Yeah, and it's a deal where if Kareem Hunt went down, like it's going to help him. But it's just not going to be the full unleash, yeah. you know, like what what you know we would hope it would be, um, just because to your point, Dearness Johnson, to his credit, you know, balled out when given the opportunity last year. Dude, this backfield's been so annoying with this too, because like we've had Hunt later, but the allure of Hunt's always been like, well, if Chubb gets hurt, then Hunt's going to go off. And we kind of, but it was fluky. Like the first time it happened, we had those terrible weather games and then Hunt like would also get hurt about the same time that Chubb uh, got hurt. And then Dearness Johnson is the one. The stars have just never aligned for either one of these guys, to be honest, like since they've been in Cleveland together, like even one, one of the others out, like there's something there to, to either an injury or to your point, a third player mixing in that we didn't necessarily expect to have as big of a role. So I think at this point, it's kind of a trend. Uh, the injury thing, it can be fluky, but the fact that Stefanski wants to continue to work a third guy in and they decided to bring Dearness Johnson. They didn't pay him a ton of money, but they liked him a lot enough, you know, to spend some money on him to bring him back. Isn't it kind of weird that, a team with Nick Chubb and Kareem Hunt, the only real running back they've ever, like, in a game or two, fully featured as a West Ham is Dearness Johnson. Yeah, I think you had a tweet on that. (laughs) My God, he had that. 
Dude, 88% snaps, 19 carries, 8 targets against the freaking Patriots in a 45-7 loss. That's all we want out of Nick Chubb, but it's uh, only for Dearness Johnson, apparently. Okay, Aaron Jones. On the one hand, Dwayne, we do have the Devontae Adams splits. When he has not been in there, Jones has been used much more as a receiver. You know, Green Bay, we got LaFleur saying that they legit need, you know, a field-stretching option. They need somebody at wide receiver. I really hope uh, Alan Lazard and Randall Cobb are not going to be starting by the time week one comes around. Hey, if by some weird chance, they won't be, but you could imagine that would be good news for Aaron Jones' target share. With that said, Dwayne, like, there's a non-zero percent chance that A.J. Dillon ends up with more total touches this year. You know, we kind of saw some back-and-forth splits. Before Jones' injury, he was actually working quite a bit ahead of Dillon. After coming back, you know, we did see Dillon start to get a little bit more involved. And by the end of the season, their touches were pretty equal. Now, Jones gets more of the receiving work. He is the more fantasy-friendly back. Um, but it could be a situation, man, where we are looking at this, you know, after the season, and if there is a running back kind of in this range that we're like, damn, how the hell did we miss on this guy? Maybe it is Aaron Jones with the potential to finally, you know, tap into that Kamara-esque target ceiling that we know he can handle. He just hasn't really had the chance because of Devontae Adams. Yeah, and Aaron Jones, like, he he's going to be one of these players that's going to be um, very sensitive to format. We're talking PPR right now. So half PPR, you know, he's going to drop a little bit. You go to standard leagues, it's really going to hurt Aaron Jones because of the fact that I'm with you. I think you're probably looking at somewhere between 40 and 60% of the rushing attempts going to A.J. Dillon. We could see them fully move to Dillon as really more the lead back on early downs and really, uh, especially if they feel that you're going to have to feed Aaron Jones in the passing game uh, with Devontae Adams gone, they may decide to just, you know, protect him even more from some of those carries. I think most likely, you know, and again, I haven't done my, my projection on the team, you know, I think I'll have them pretty close. I'll probably have Aaron Jones, like 45% of the rushing attempts, A.J. Dillon right there around that, leaving enough room for the quarterback, um, you know, and another back just to get a few carries. Um, but but what gets me excited about Aaron Jones, and it's not just the splits without Devontae Adams, it's just overall his receiving profile. Um, and this was there last year as well. But if you look at his yards per route run last season, 1.52. So the comparables would be Alvin Kamara at 1.62 and Austin Eckler at 1.55. Targets per route run, which is really important for a player that we know is having to split time because that's the easiest way for us to know, okay, well, when they get on the field, like how often they involve? 22% targets per route run. Who does that comp to? Same people. Austin Eckler, 0.21, and Alvin Kamara, 0.24. So I think Aaron Jones is a potential cheat code on Eckler and on Kamara, um, assuming, you know, um, Kamara and Eckler, you know, are somewhere in the same range as he's going to be. We give them, obviously, more upside. That's why they're ranked ahead as far as, you know, if you projected Austin Eckler today, my guess is you'd probably say, hey, Dwayne, 55% of the rushing attempts, maybe 60%. That's probably where you're going to put him. Whereas with Aaron Jones, you might say something like 45%. So that's the difference. But in a PPR format, really love that about Aaron Jones. And man, he, again, like Christmas tree, he lights it up over there. Um, 82 overall PFF grade, 83.1 rushing, 72.6 receiving grade, um, which also comps out well versus some of the other guys. He's not the god named Christian McCaffrey at a 92.8 sitting up there. I didn't even color code Christian McCaffrey. He would have broke the color scale. Um, so looking at Aaron Jones, though, I mean, again, 0.23 missed tackles first per attempt. That's that's uh, 0.6 above, you know, the league average. He's above in yards after contact by almost 0.2 yards. So, I mean, a lot of good things to like about Aaron Jones, even though he is going into his age 28 season. Stat I couldn't get out of my mouth uh, enough last offseason was about how Jones, you know, you split out in the slot or out wide. 
Third best running back in yards per out run behind only Austin Eckler and Naeem Hines, also two pretty damn good receivers in their own rights. I mean, he just has been awesome whenever asked to do it over the years. I mean, even the last game we saw him, man, before the end of the first half, uh, you know, catching that long-ass ball down the sideline and um, unfortunately getting hawked. Uh, and then, you know, the kicker, unfortunately, uh, couldn't come through, got blocked, and we can just block I would love to see the anyway. Packers – like, I don't think it's going to happen because London will go early. But, like, the perfect kind of matchup would be getting a guy like Drake London that could kind of do the things that Michael Thomas does, right? Work work inside, underneath, comeback routes, slants, things like that. Big body guy. Can do some damage after the catch, you know, just because of his play strength. You know, working all those routes. And then a guy like Aaron Jones really playing more of that Camara-type role. Like, I think that Aaron Rodgers could make a lot out of that. And then you have your other pieces to add on to it, like Alan Lazard. You got Randall Cobb there. They do still need a field stretcher. Like, so Jameson could obviously make sense for them. And he's more likely to be around at the pick when the Packers the Packers have two two first-round picks um, at the end of the first round. And so we'll have to see what they do with receivers. But I think no matter what, like we have to project a pretty nice receiving role for Aaron Jones because rookies don't always come in and hit right away. I have some highlights rolling, and one of them, the Cowboys had Jalen Smith matched up on Jones uh, out wide. As you can probably imagine, it did not, not good. go well. Not good. Uh, Got a bad feeling about this one, Bob. <laughs> okay, before we keep on going, I just want to note the only true guaranteed quality pickup this season is Manscaped, the leaders in below-the-waist grooming. With Manscaped Performance Package 4.0, your skill position will be sleek and smooth enough for a sub-4.340. Support us and head to manscaped.com and use the exclusive code PFF at checkout for 20% off and free shipping. Again, that's 20% off with free shipping at manscaped.com and use code PFF. Turn your Mr. Irrelevant to a first-round pick with Manscaped. Also, right now, you can get 25% off any PFF subscription if you use code FANTASY. What can you get with the PFF sub? All of our locked article content, NFL Draft Guy, completely unlocked mock draft simulator, fully equipped with player trades, 2022 free agent rankings, down and grades from the entire 2021 season, all that and so much more. Support the pod. Use promo code FANTASY for 25% off any subscription. All right, Dwayne, we're not going to go through, you know, each and every running back, I, I think we'd be breaking our three-hour record uh, if we decided to <laughs> uh, do that. But, you know, we'll kind of uh, go through these, you know, back half RB2s yeah. a little more quickly. I think I one way three. to do it is just kind of hit the tiers. Like, and let's just talk yeah. through the tiers a little bit. Okay. Like, you know, we got this 2B tier. Um, you know, and we've already hit a couple of players in here, so we don't have to hit them again. Here's my main question, because you have Brees Hall, top of the 2B tier. Um, I agree. I think he deserves to be the rookie RB1. 15, I, I know we, we've talked about how you want to be ahead of some of the natural changes that occur with player rankings and ADP after they get drafted. There is a benefit to taking these rookies um, before the draft because they're, we're only going to see their value go up after they land. But RB15, man, like where does he kind of have to land in order for this to be a reality for him because let's face it i mean there are a bunch of situations where if he does go to a team you know in the second round like say washington or something like no we could not rank him as the rb15 so is there a spot or two that you're like particularly just fingers crossed hoping Brees hall can land in well i think the big thing is going to be draft capital his adp is shooting up and expected draft position over on grinding the mocks so 
there's going to be a more likelihood that even on some of these teams where maybe before a month ago, if we thought he landed there, it wouldn't, it might not work out for him. Well, now if you're talking an end of the first draft pick, like they could really force him into action. Now that doesn't always work that way, but I think right now you're most likely, if you want to look at grinding the mocks, you could pull that up. But if you want to look at Brees Hall, you're probably looking at late first round, early second round. It's going to be the first running back off of the board. We know that he's got that receiving profile that we like. He's an all around back. So I think just from that standpoint, the way that I was looking at it, um, as I know J.K. Dobbins is going to have to battle with Gus Edwards. Right now, Cam Akers didn't look good at the end of the year. We know he's going to have to battle with Daryl Williams. Antonio Gibson got the rug pulled out from under him. He's also only a third-round pick. Got J.D. McKissick back. Saquon Barkley, look, I'm fine if you want to put Barkley above, you know, Brees Hall. I'm just kind of betting on the upside here. David Montgomery, we know, has a nice role, but he's one of these backs that really hadn't done a ton. Like, if you look to the right, he does not light the Christmas tree up blue. He's really just a volume guy. So could he lose volume to someone else that comes in? And that's really where my thought process went was, okay, like with all those factors I just named, there's enough questions with each one of those. I'm just going to take the shot on Brees Hall. His 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 eight, his ranking will definitely change based on, you know, where he lands. It won't matter as much for Dynasty, but for yeah. Redraft 2022, which right now we're talking best ball and Redraft, um, it's going to change. So, I mean, obviously, like if he lands you know, on a team like the Bills, it's going to be yeah. wheels up. Like, I'm going to assume that he's probably going to wrestle that. As much as we like Devin Singletary, I'm, I mean, I would be super excited, you know, about that landing spot. He lands, you know, for some reason the Packers take their third back. It's going to be like, what the hell? Like, we're going to move all these guys yeah. down. Um, so you're right. The landing spot does matter quite a bit. But now that his expected draft position is moving up, it's a little less risky um, because teams are going to want to get the payoff because they're more likely to spend more on him in the draft. That would be the other factor that could change things. If all of a sudden, like all these mocks are off and he goes at the end of the second round or he's a third round pick, that would drastically change uh, my view yeah. on Brees Hall. Counted six teams quickly that I think, you know, we could probably see the RB15 spot not change all that much. Bills, Jets, Chiefs, Falcons, Dolphins, and Texans. Not a guarantee with all those. I mean, I know Edmonds could do some stuff with the Dolphins. Obviously, Cordero Patterson is going to be incredibly difficult to take any touches away from. Uh, and Michael Carter, I think, has done plenty of fine things with the Jets. But, um, you know, to your point, like Devin Singletary has been great too. But, yeah, after drafting Brees Hall in round two, we're going to have to And Hall's realize. 22 right now an underdog. So, I mean, basically I'm trying to get people to go ahead and pull the trigger on him, you know, with the ranks. But like I could totally, if somebody, I could totally see somebody say, well, look, we're pretty sure David Montgomery has an every down role. Travis Etienne with what's going on with James Robinson. Also, his, we already know he was a first round pick last season, has rapport with the quarterback. Saquon Barkley, to your point, is going to have a full-time role. I could easily say, fine, slip him to 18. And then you're putting him above J.K. Dobbins, who you know is in a committee with his quarterback and with another running back. Cam Akers, who we had some questions about at the end of the season. Daryl Henderson is probably going to be involved. Antonio Gibson, who's going to give away passing down. Maybe that makes more sense to have Brees Hall sitting at like um, 18. And then you move Montgomery. And that's why I like doing these because, honestly, like we, hadn't, we haven't talked about this stuff before we got on here. <laughs> so it's good to talk through it. But maybe that makes more sense. Still in the same tier. But why not go ahead and give Montgomery and ETN the edge, right, over a Brees Hall and even a Barkley, uh, knowing where they're already sitting and most likely what their workloads look like. Montgomery's an interesting one. I, you know, I hear what you're saying with those metrics, but I do think Montgomery is a solid running back. Yeah, he's solid. He he didn't. He's not elite like some of these other guys, but he's good. I don't want to say he's bad. He's not red. Yeah, 
he has – it's a new offense, and I think Khalil Herbert was good enough last year to arguably form a bigger role. I, he's has a similar kind of profile without the legal problems and injury concerns as Dalvin Cook in a way, man. The offense isn't as good. I don't think he's as good as Dalvin. But yeah, not as explosive, someone, but yeah. He could be the Bears' three down back that barely leaves the field. Like, that's in his potential range of outcomes. Last year, part of the problem was wondering when Tariq Cohen was going to yeah. be back. Now he's completely out of the picture. So, Montgomery is someone who I'm uh, five spots low. I'm willing to take him. He's not your typical dead zone running back. Yeah. Um, yeah. I'm willing to draft Dave Montgomery. you got a 25-year-old back. You know, he's got a little bit of draft capital behind him. We'll see what they do in the draft, but I'm with you. This is Last year, I didn't. I hardly drafted David Montgomery at all. I think I had him on one or two teams out of like 50. Um, this year, you know, I'll be much closer to the 20%, you know, exposure mark on David Montgomery. I will be moving Montgomery up my ranks. I think that, yeah, that 16, 17 spot looks good to me. Travis Etienne, RB 17 for both of us. James Robinson tore his Achilles in December. That's terrible news. Who knows if he's going to come back, period. Dr. Jesse Morse got in my mentions and said he doesn't think he's going to play. If he does come back and play, I don't know. Cam Akers and Marlon Mack averaging two yards per carry certainly didn't look that great. Different situations and all that. Uh, But Travis Etienne, man, I think people look at him as like this urban pick, but the same GM that picked him is still in Jacksonville, man. So, yeah, like a couple of these situations, like I could see uh, the Jaguars adding someone to the room. There were some rumors, I think, with uh, James Conner. That's not ideal like yeah if Melvin Gordon goes to Jacksonville that would freaking suck for projecting ETN uh but just keep in mind you know he is this pass catcher where I I, I had him and uh, Rashad Penny like kind of in the same workload tier where like I did see some news with Rashad Penny who we'll get to in a little bit where Pete Carroll yesterday said that Penny will get the first crack at the starting job but before I heard that it was like okay we have Chris Carson and we have James Robinson who could feasibly be week one starters or they might not even freaking play the entire season so ETN and to a lesser extent Penny they could either be backups in week one or looking at a fantasy friendly 20 touches per game so I do think ETN has an underrated ceiling and right now he's someone I'm happy uh, to scoop up because I think as we get closer to the season and people understandably become more concerned with James Robinson's uh, exact health status. Um, It's something to really keep in mind. And Robinson is now two coaching staffs removed from actually getting that, you know, fantasy friendly three down workload. It cracks me up, Dwayne, when, uh, you know, people try to look at some of these concerns like offense, you know, digging a running back because their offense or offensive line. And like, we just had James Robinson two years ago in a, dog shit offense just completely live as an RB1 based on pure volume. And he's a good running back, man. I'm not trying to hate on James Robinson, but I don't think anyone's also saying Robinson is like truly like a top three running back of the last 10 years or anything like that. So uh, something to keep in mind with ETN. Talked about Saquon. J.K. Dobbins. Ooh, six yards per carry, but coming off the ACL. And Dwayne, I don't think enough people probably realize this was a split backfield with Gus Edwards almost the entire time that Mark Ingram was fully out of the picture. Yeah, I mean, really, you're betting on talent. You're betting on a younger player. He's only going to be 24 years old. Uh, We do think the Ravens will probably gravitate not all the way back to as run heavy as they were, um, you know, the year before last, but probably somewhere in between the 61% drop back rate and the 50% drop back rate that they had. So maybe like a 55%, which would still be a very run heavy offense, comparatively speaking, to the rest of the NFL. And so looking at that, I think there's just that opportunity with Dobbins that you, you know, you, he's more likely just kind of a flex play, even though he's kind of, he's grading inside. Yeah, I think he's, he'd be fine, you know, as your RB2, you're not going to be thrilled about it. 
but knowing that if something did break his way, A, he's just so good he takes over the job, which is a possibility. B, you know, something happens to Gus Edwards and he is the guy that's available. Like, I think there's a lot of opportunity for Dobbins um, to really, you know, profile as someone that shouldn't fit as your typical, you know, dead zone back. I wish he had a little more draft capital than what he had. Um, you know, I think that hurts him a little bit. But everything I'm reading right now with the Ravens, they, they still sound very high on J.K. Dobbins. And we haven't even gotten the uh, annual, you know, Ravens report that they're going to involve their running backs more in the past game. So we got, we have that to look forward to as well. <laughs> Cam Akers, I'm a little higher on him. I have him RB16. You have him RB20. But I feel like we're both still uh, below a good amount of consensus. And, you know, you really need to look at that post-Tampa Bay game workload where first it was Sonny Michelle and then it was Daryl Henderson still continuing to split up that backfield. Would not shock me at all. Sean McFay does start to lean in towards those committees more because that's what he was doing in the two most uh, – recent sample games that we have. So I, I'm far less concerned about Akers, you know, efficiency and coming back from the Achilles at this point uh, than I actually am about the volume and uh, play for him. Antonio Gibson, you have him four spots ahead of Ezekiel Elliott, but these are like the poster childs for uh, people who are going to try to ch- change your mind on Twitter by looking at their overall numbers and not actually their per game uh, rates that are going to be a little bit more indicative of where we should be ranking them before the season starts. But Antonio Gibson had one top 12 finish before J.D. McKissick got hurt last year. Then he had four during the team's final six games. So, yeah, Dwayne, McKissick's good at his job. He has the second most freaking targets at the position over the last two years. Unfortunately, Antonio Gibson is someone that, yeah, he's going to be a low-end RB2. He was playing with that you know bad knee injury th- or broken leg. Where the, the hell was yeah. going? Yeah, the, the shin, yeah. yeah. He had that going on throughout the and year. The year before was turf toe. So. Yeah, yeah, it's yeah, always he's something. Had, he's been unfortunate. Way. Yeah, he's been unfortunate as far as injuries. So I don't know that we have a full um, accurate picture of really what his efficiency could look like. You know, because, I mean, if you scroll to the right on him, he's really just kind of neutral. He doesn't really pop out in any sort of way. He's honestly below most of uh, the NFL averages over the last three years for the metrics that we've been talking about, like missed tackles and yards after contact, explosive rush rates. He's below on all those. Just give him a little bit of a pass. The biggest thing is just that J.D. McKissick is so good as a receiver and what they had to do to bring him back. That's significant money, not overall in the landscape of a team's you know salary cap, um, or even necessarily by running backs, but for a back that you just want to play a passing role, they they paid J.D. McKissick pretty well. So I'm just not buying into this narrative that, oh, we were going to get Antonio Gibson more involved in the passing game anyway. What that could mean is, oh, we're going to try to throw it to him more on early downs, which wasn't really a problem. Last year, you know, 21% of the time he was in a route, targets per route run, like he was getting a target. And so Gibson did fly. He showed the ability that if he could get more snaps, like we definitely could see more targets. We just know that that's immediately capped now. And then the commander's offense overall, like I just don't feel that great about it. I do believe that, you know, reading the beat reports, that Antonio Gibson is also a player where they're thinking about adding another back in the draft. So it's just kind of hard to get too excited now because if they draft another back in the second or third round because they've they've talked about wanting to ease his early down workload, all of a sudden you could be talking about Antonio Gibson, who was getting all of the early down work coming off the field and passing downs to where now he's getting half of the early down work, 60-70% of the early down work, and still losing the passing down downs to McKissick. Like, in this offense that we don't necessarily think is going to be that good, like, it's just I'm struggling to see the value and really spending much draft capital on Antonio Gibson. Again, also another player that doesn't have really high draft capital sitting behind him. He was only a third-round pick. 
how does that conversation go? Like, hey, Antonio, we're going to start giving away uh, half your early down work to this guy. He's like, all right, well, am I getting some more pass down work? No. Oh, okay. Um, Am I still a starting running back? Kind of. Like, all right, I guess. Yes, you're going to start the games. (laughs) (laughs) But yes, if we get to a three back uh, committee in Washington, like he is going to be plummeting even further down the ranks. Your 3-8 tier, Elijah Mitchell, you have RB22. I'm a little bit higher, RB19, followed by Devin Singletary, Ezekiel Elliott. I am six spots higher than you, RB24 versus RB18. Michael Carter, Kenneth Walker, and Chase Edmonds, who you are a good five spots higher than me on. Is there someone out of this group in particular that you'd be liking to target here? Because all these guys are fairly affordable. Um, I know Ezekiel Elliott is someone that a lot of people might just be dumb with. But at the same time, you know, remember, like, yeah, we're done with him in the first and second round. But that doesn't mean that he's someone we need to completely fade if he's falling into the fourth there, I even say the fifth round. So out of this group, Dwayne, Mitchell, Singletary, Zeke, Carter, Walker, and Edmonds, which one would you most want to have on your fantasy squads in 2022? Yeah, so first just like a quick note like on the tiers. So what I'm thinking here is like these these players all have a path to leading their teams in backfield touches. And they all have – every one of them has something nice in their profile that you like about them. But they're all also very fragile because – Elijah Mitchell does not have high draft capital. Michael Carter was an early fourth round pick last year. Zeke, we know, we hear all the words about Pollard and we saw him drop off even further, you know, in some of his efficiency metrics last year. Devin Singletary, you know, we could have the Bills add someone, doesn't have a lot of draft capital. Kenneth Walker, because he's not, hasn't really shown that he's a receiving back yet, like running. His, his landing spot probably matters a little bit more than Brees Hall because he's not quite as diverse, like in his in his talent skill set. Not to say he can't catch balls and swing passes. He probably can, but is he going to demand targets um, in a passing game? Probably not as likely as what we would see with Brees Hall. And then Chase Edmonds, like very explosive player that fits in with Mike McDaniel's scheme, but just is he a guy, he's only handled 25% at most of his team's rushing attempts in any season leading up to now. Um, So I think you and I both think that he will be the leading back on the Dolphins, but we also expect, you know, to see a committee and not a full on, or let's just give it all to Chase Edmonds. Could, could be wrong, but I mean, he is similar to an Elijah Mitchell. So that's kind of my thought process around the whole tier and how all of these guys ended up together. But if I had to pick one of these right now that I really want the most exposure to, um, I do think that it's Elijah Mitchell or Michael Carter. You can pick one of those two. I think just in the schemes that they play in, um, and, the, and the opportunity for them to really lead their backfields. And, and Carter maybe even a little more because I think, Ian, he could stay more involved in the passing game than what we see with Mitchell because we know that they get him off the field um, to get Debo Samuel out there. They've even shown that they like to have, um, you know, a guy like Jermichael Hasty get involved in the passing down situation. So then you can insert name here, additional back that Kyle Shanahan wants to see on the field. Hey, we saw him using Kyle Juszczyk sometimes on passing downs <laughs> as the guy they want. Now, that doesn't mean Mitchell can't grow. Um, so, but I think if I was talking about the two players that provide the most upside, if everything goes right for them between now and the draft, I think that Mitchell and Carter are probably the two. Poor Trey Sermon finally got his lead back chance and Kyle Juszczyk nearly outsnapped the freaking dude. Uh, yeah, with look, honestly, like Mitchell Singletary and Carter, three low-key pretty big winners of uh, free agency for the 49ers to just bring back Jeff Wilson and Hasty. I mean, we've already seen Mitchell win that battle. No reason to think that he won't be featured out there. And I am wondering, how big is that Devo Samuel role going to be on a weekly basis, Dwayne? Because it didn't even exist until like week right. eight or nine last year when Hasty was out with an ankle, when Mitchell was 
playing through a rib injury and like he breaks his finger early on. And I think that's what you have to consider in the range of outcomes for Mitchell is that there is not as big of a role for Debo Samuel this season. Uh, I think that's totally possible. And with how explosive he was, he had that 14%, you know, uh, explosive rate, like, and it was actually higher before he got hurt yards after contact. Everything looks good, you know, for him. And he was even good in pass blocking 69.2. That's one of the highest guys on the, on the sheet here. So he's shown that he can do those things. Um, you know, if you, if you're looking at him, like he's pretty much blue across the board, uh, minus the receiving snaps overall. Um, so yeah, I, I'm with you on Mitchell. I think you've got to consider in the range of outcomes that he actually gets an expanded role in the passing game. And Devin Singletary, look, I love Duke Johnson more than anyone. We all understand this, but that's the only competition that Singletary is facing? Like, that's fantastic news for him. Final five weeks of last season, PPR, RB 14, 7, 10, 5, and 3. He did not come off the field for a single snap in that, you know, classic uh, Chiefs-Bills playoff uh, spectacle that we saw in the divisional rounds. That's one I think we were definitely, like, tipping people off too well before most other uh, pods and sites was Devin Singletary. Because I remember even when we were doing it, people were like, well, are you sure? Are you sure, Devin Singletary? Nah, man. <laughs> Offense, dude, and he's good. Like, I don't, like, he's better than Clyde Edwards Lair and some of these guys I think he gets uh, kind of put in the same group as. Like, he just, again, like, you know, there are certain metrics that we use to kind of discern pure running back talent, not so much fantasy, you know, forcing missed tackles on the ground and getting yards after contact. You see Singletary with guys like Aaron Jones and some of the other running backs that are truly, um, you know, as the kids would call it elite. Maybe not. And this isn't new. Rusher, like It isn't new. Like, he's been doing this. As a for, rusher. As a rusher. Yeah, not as much as a receiver, but as a He's rusher. been doing it for three years, but a lot of people point back to his, like, athletic profile and say that it was subpar and and that's where I think you know like athletic profiles and those things like we care we look at them but at at some point you have to say a player like Devin Singletary that's obviously not how he's winning because he continues to win we don't just have one outlier year we've seen him really be productive on these underlying efficiency metrics now for three seasons in a row you know who else didn't have a great athletic profile Dalvin Cook um I'd say he's doing pretty well for himself overall after Singletary, you know, yeah, Zeke is someone where it's just I'm just avoiding, and I've got him so low. I just I'm basically telling everybody to, to to not do it, just because Pollard looked better than him. He's over. He he's like he's our highest guy as far as total touches, you know, coming into the season. Or if you just want to look at the rushing attempts, including playoffs, like he's number one. So he's also at age 27. There's just a lot of red flags on Zeke, and so and you tell me like. The, the narrative I try to tell myself on these players, and again, I get more into it with projections. When I project a range of outcomes, I always project a high end and a low end based on roster construction, what kind of things would have to happen. And so it's not just an automatic, well, this is median, and so here would be his top 5%, which I like that. Some people do that, but I do it more based on like, okay, what could I see happening with this team? And my the biggest way I see Zeke like outperforming Um, He could easily outperform where I have him. But the biggest way I see Zeke making me regret not having him would be, one, the Cowboys offense goes nuts and he's scoring a ton of the touchdowns, and two, Pollard gets hurt. Because then just the volume alone would really come through. I think even with Pollard healthy, he could pay off his ADP just with the touchdowns alone because we still think the Cowboys are going to be a good offense. Um, But I just don't see a way that – I don't personally see a way where I feel like I'm going to be six weeks in and go, crap, I cannot win my league because I don't have Zeke. I just can't come up with that scenario without adding injuries into it, which we could do for a ton of players on this list. So, but what do you think on that? I think you're right. Um, Look, 
It is interesting if you look at Zeke before the PCL injury um, that yeah. he ended up playing with. I mean, he did look good. I mean, everyone, a lot of people just watched the tape of Bay game and he got stuff and it was like, oh, Zeke can't do a damn thing. But no one was complaining, you know, <laughs> yeah. when he helped win. Well, that no one Vikings was doing game. that against Tampa early in the season. Later in the well, season, exactly. Hurt, but yeah. But like I remember against the Vikings, man, taking that check down, breaking two tackles, and basically winning the game uh, for the Cowboys. And I mean, you know, we got my God. That and that was true Zeke fashion, like just dead head on contact balance, like two dudes, like, and just willpowering it in. You know, I think the big thing, though, is like... The blitz pickup he had against the Niners, too. Oh, my God. I know we don't get fantasy points for that, but fuck, that was sick. The missed tackles force have never been there for Zeke, so that doesn't really concern me. He's won without those in the past. Like, he's never been elite in that metric. But the yards after, after contact is what's going down for him over his career. And the explosive rush rate being right at average, um, you know, he's been below average or right around average the last few years. So I think just adding it all up, plus the, the workload that he's had, I'm just struggling to find a way to think that, boy, I need, I'm, I'm going to regret not having Zeke exposure. Like, I just, I'm struggling with it. We'll see where the ADPs can go. I'm not as out on him as uh, as you are. Um, I do think it's we can get him cheaper than we ever have, so it deserves to look at him a little bit. Well, he'll, and he'll uh, be he'll be the great conversation, right? Whenever we're talking through, okay, here's our overall ranks. Yeah, you're sitting here and you're now staring at like, and here's some of the conversations where like uh, I could see someone making the argument. You could take DJ Moore or you could take Zeke. You could take Deontay Johnson with Mitchell Trubisky or you could take Zeke. You could take, like, there's going to be a lot of calls like that. I typically like to lean to the receivers also just because they get hurt less. But I think those are conversations where, like, once we start comparing some of those things, like, you might be able to make, you know, a better case. Exactly. It's more feasible. We're not looking at, you know, Zeke versus Justin Jefferson like maybe we were uh, last year. My God. Because then you could just totally bitch slap me. You know, you could Will Smith on me (laughs) and be like, dude, like, really? You think that, you know, DJ Moore has that much upside with Sam Darnold? Yeah, he's an elite player, but how's he ever going to do it with Sam Darnold? Like, And that would be a legit point. You know what I mean? So. Michael Carter, another nice low-key winner. So far, they brought back Tevin Coleman, but we saw him. I mean, Tevin Coleman was starting uh, last year, and he got hurt, and Carter took over. But then Coleman came back. Carter maintained that starting job. And I think, really, man, like we saw that Week 16 game, Carter uh, over 100 yards. I think it's the Jaguars played over 70% of the snaps. The next week against the Buccaneers, he had like five touches in the first eight snaps, gets concussed. He's back in there next week, but obviously then we're going to put, you know, a full workload on his plate. I do wonder if he never got concussed and we had seen three straight games of an elite workload, um, how much higher he actually could be up in these ranks. But right now, again, another situation where maybe Brees Hall, like maybe Kenneth Walker, one of these guys could certainly land in New York. And yeah, he was drafted at the top of the fourth round, but, you know, put him as a late third round pick. I still think a lot of that kind of draft capital concern would still be warranted. So the things to remember, the thing for folks to remember with Carter that I really love. Um, even though he had limited playing time, when you go to those per route run metrics, 0.23 targets per route run, 1.48 yards per route run. Again, so getting into that range. How much of that is the two games of Mike White, though? That's what I'm concerned with. Well, no, I mean, I get it, but this is over the whole season. So, I mean, it's not, you know, I mean, if we go back. It and might look be at his, extreme. I mean, if you go back and look at his utilization profile, like, I'll pull it up right now. You keep talking. I'll look at it. Dude, you you no, can be right. Look. Let me look. I think it's something absolutely uh, bonkers. And like he might have had like more targets. In the t- well, I know there was a- definitely the one where it was huge. I think he had uh, close. If you look at all of his games and then the two games of Mike White, I think they're close. We'll try to. 
get this. Yeah, but I mean, here, listen to this. Targets per route run. Here, here the, Here's his game logs. 20 percent, 20 percent, 27 percent, 70 percent, 20 percent, 31 percent, 48 percent, 33 percent, 14 percent. Uh, then later in the year, 13, 13, 25, 13, and then overall for the season, we already said it was 23. And there's another 25 percenter in there without him. Like, I, that that's still that that bodes well for Michael Carter as far as. So maybe you think of him more as like a 21 percent targets per route run instead of a 23 percent. But bottom line is, if you get a guy that can be over 20 percent and in the yards per route run be approaching the 1.5 at running back, that's really elite. So I think underlying that screams potential three down roll or yeah. worst case. If they decide to rest him a little on early downs, if you're in a PPR league, he could be out there in the most valuable spots. He he can catch the ball. That's the important thing. It wasn't like these. This was like fluky, and he can't be a pass catcher back. So ultimately, it doesn't really matter. But yeah, 23 targets in two games of Mike White, 32 and 12 games without. Just a pretty freaking start there. Captain checked down Mike White for the win. <laughs> All right, Dwayne, we're just going to run through a handful of these. And again, uh, I invite you all to check out our best ball streams. You know, we'll be going back through with this stuff and, you know, just coming up with even more takeaways. But um, RBs 28 through 30, you have Clyde Ebersolaire, Josh Jacobs, and Damian Harris. It's just going to be a matter of volume with these guys. I mean, Ronald Jones coming to Kansas City, probably best case for CEH in terms of target share. But man, Daryl Williams, Jarek McKinnon, they're still free agents. If they're going to bring back one of them, we're looking at three running and I backs. Bet they Same. Do. I think do. they do as well. CEH has problem. never yeah. done these things we've talked about with these other guys. Targets per route run have always just been complete <laughs> with CEH. Like, so I'm sorry. Like these things nice. add up. Like you see it enough. You see it for two years in a row. Like they just, they, and they've even tried some, but he is not something that they're going to force. I don't think in the passing game, I agree with the fact that Ronald, there couldn't have been a better signing than Ronald Jones. Cause you know, Ronald Jones is absolutely not going to be on the field and passing downs. But even if it's just Ronald Jones and him, I'm not going to get too crazy excited because CEH has never really shown an ability you know, to earn that and to really force those targets his way. So I think that's a problem for him. This, this tier for me is basically, hey, here's your early down backs. Clyde Edwards-Alaire, Josh Jacobs, and Damian Harris. All of them have some de- decent draft capital behind them, especially Edwards-Alaire and Josh Jacobs. So you know they're not going to completely disappear from their offense. You're probably going to get something from them. Um, but it's hard to get overly excited about any kind of full workload for any of these dudes. Yeah, with Jacobs, he needed injuries to not only Kenyon Drake, but um, also you know had Jalen Rashard kind Rashard, of falling yeah. out, out, out of favor um, as well. And Peyton Barber was even being annoyingly involved uh, for a stretch of especially the Gruden uh, tenure. So got to look at now with uh, you know Josh McDaniels, longtime committee believer, having Brandon Bolden and Amir Abdullah in there. It really could be a three-pronged backfield. With Damon Harris, that's the expectation. Him or Mondre Stevenson and either James White or even Ty Montgomery. I'll be interested to see how that uh, kind of battle goes or if it even is a battle. After that group, 3C tier, just two backs, uh, Kareem Hunt and Cordero Patterson. I'm a few spots higher than both, but at this point, you know, kind of in the So those are passing down guys for me, right? They can give you, yeah. uh, you know, a lead upside in the receiving game plus some in the running game. Um, so Hunt, I mean, honestly, like, man, like, I feel like people have – he's probably – I probably have him ranked a tad low. Like, I mean, I don't know. I struggle with, like, who am I going to move him up above ahead. Yeah. 
But I think he can give you flex value again, like he always has, and give you huge upside if for some reason Nick Chubb goes down. Um, you know, his missed tackles force, all those things are great still for Kareem Hunt. Yeah, he's so good. He is so freaking good. After that, closing out the RB3 um, kind of tier, A.J. Dillon, Rashad Penny, Isaiah Spiller, and Tony Pollard. We talked about Pollard and Dillon a little bit already. Uh, we'll focus more on the rookie RBs and lead up in the draft. Rashad Penny, this, this is the one that, again, could make a big difference in these drafts. I'm a few spots higher than you. I have him as RB31. You have him as RB34. I think it's fair, all the uncertainty we kind of have in Seattle. Obviously, the offense doesn't have nearly as much upside without Russ there. But God damn it, Dwayne, they love to run the ball. There's a chance Rashad Penny is going to be a 20-touch weekly player. Obviously, health isn't a given. But who is health a given for at the running back position? Rashad Penny, man... We haven't done all these drafts yet. I'll be curious how my mindset changes uh, when we're really out there on the clock with uh, you know some money we're trying to make. But Penny, to me, man, at this valuation, seems like someone worth maybe going after. Yeah, I, the way I look at it, there are things I don't like, which, A, is just the Seahawks offense. Like, <laughs> we know the volume's going to be low. There is still a chance that it's a split backfield, which makes it really ugly. But Pete Carroll has already come, not that we could ever trust Pete Carroll. He did already come out... Um, from the owners' meetings, um, and it's he, the one useful thing he said in about. He did a year. mention that it's going to be first crack is Rashad Penny. So, yeah. like, I like that, um, and so I just think you know, and the ADP is good, man. Like the ADP right now is ninety nine on underdog, and if you look at Rashad right. Penny last year, I know it was on a small sample size, but this actually dates back to looking at his other uh, rushing attempts. You know that he's had in previous seasons as well. Like these, he's always good. Always, he's been hurt. They've always popped. So it is, you know, you're looking at a 23% uh, missed tackle force per attempt, 4.52 yards after contact. The league average is 2.93. Like that's complete beast mode. Um, didn't qualify, um, you know, for my rankings against the other backs because it's just not fair. He didn't have enough rushing attempts. I cut it off at needing 150 carries. Um, and then explosive rush rate, though, 16%. We talked about a minute ago. That's 10.5% league average over the last three years. So he's a plus. And so that's the kind of players that you're looking for. The, the players that have been plus in the opportunities that they've been given and they have a chance to grow their role, maybe there's uncertainty. But I like buying into Rashad Penny. Um, and I think that, you know, having him in a tier similar to A.J. Dillon and some of these other guys like that. I also put in there because, like, I know that I need to take him some. You know, and yeah. it, I don't want to let the Seattle offense sour me, sour me like, too completely much. Chris Carson has a neck injury that's being described as something that he's always going to have to deal with. We just got told that Penny's going to have his first chance to start anyway. This seems like a situation where we should get ahead on this, take him right now, and then by the time August comes around, he's probably going to be a low-end RB2 once people kind of realize what's already staring us yeah. in the face. I think one thing we'll have uh, for everyone next week when we go into doing a, uh, our best ball drafts once a week I think one of the things that we'll be able to talk through, like even heading into the podcast, like here are the guys that we know right now before the draft and before more news comes out, we want to get as much exposure as possible. Here's a list of guys where we're probably not going to draft this off this often. Yeah. So when you see us pass them, even though we may think they're okay in our rankings, it's because we think that we're going to get better ADPs later or at worst, like they're going to stay neutral in ADP. And so I'll put that article together next week to begin the week so that we're like ready for Wednesday and then like we can kind of hash that out. But to your point, Rashad Penny is one of these players that if the news keeps being bad on Chris Carson, he's going to move up. I don't think there is a scenario where Rashad Penny, unless he gets hurt in training camp, I don't think there's a scenario right now where Rashad Penny's ADP goes down. 
that I think there's going to be enough question about, about Chris Carson and his health that most likely it's going to creep up. Mm-hmm. No, yeah, exactly. We're, we're able to buy him more at his floor right now, I think, uh, over the course of the offseason. Just a couple names that are outside the top 36 that people might want to hear about. Man, what did Miles Sanders uh, say about the McFarland family? I want to know. RV 37. I have him RV 27. <laughs> like, okay. I might drop him. I, I don't want him on my squad necessarily. You really don't, uh, Dwayne. They did bring back Boston Scott, as we saw in the playoff game. You know, Kenneth Gainwell, depending on if he's, you know, in the doghouse that week or not, is a threat to steal away some of the pass down work. And as you know, with Jalen Hurts, he is going to be soaking up uh, all of the rushing work. So I guess similar kind of stuff, as you said with Zeke, like if we look at Miles Sanders and it's like, what would need to happen for us to be like, Damn it, I really wish he was on the squad. It's kind of tough to come up with a scenario. I mean, look, the beauty of it is that, that we know the Eagles want to be a run-heavy team. So if if there is somewhere in the range of outcomes, it may be a small percentage, that all of a sudden Miles Sanders is getting, you know, we know Jalen Hurts is going to get 20 to 30%. So that leaves about 70% for the backs. So say Miles Sanders, um, you know, could somehow be around 50 to 55% of the rushing attempts. In a very heavy rush offense, that could be worth 65% in a, in a rushing in a, on a team that doesn't run the ball as much, right? So when you play with these percentages, you always have to think about, well, okay, great. Well, raw touches, what does that ultimately equal? I think there's a scenario where Miles Sanders could make me wish that I took him, but for me, he just really sits in the dead zone. I've seen enough of Miles Sanders to this point in my career that I'm just, I don't feel that I've got to do this with him. I feel like they're going to always keep Boston Scott involved. We'll probably re-signing Jordan Howard. They may draft somebody. The Eagles have a lot of draft picks in this draft. So I think, you know, there's more chances that Miles Sanders battleship gets sunk through the draft than some of these other teams because of the capital that the Eagles have. So that's the other reason. I feel like he's most likely a player um, they kind of like the list we were just talking about. I, I don't, I don't think I'm going to have to be too concerned about his ADP spiking and me later having to react and going, damn, I wish I would have bought Miles Sanders whenever I could get him as the RB 35 on underdog. And I've got him at 37. So, I mean, ADP is actually kind of in a line right now with where I've got him. So what, yeah. what's your, what are your thoughts on why you've got him higher? Just curious. Well, now that I found out his, I, I, I was trying to, I'm, I'm trying to make these rankings not paying that much attention to ADP at first. I want to let it stabilize a little bit. Oh, I agree. I, I, stuff. I, I, no, no, but after, after you just said, look at ADP. Yeah, after you just said he's RB thirty five, like I'm, I'm moving his ass down. I, don't, I, I, <laughs> I do bet you're like Dwayne. I don't have an argument here. I'm just going to move him down. <laughs> I am. Yeah, I did not want to be uh, above consensus on. Uh, well, I didn't know if there was something like that you really saw that flashed with him that you're like, you know, we got to no. give him one more chance. Okay. No, he's fine, but. It's it's all everything with the offense, and to your point, like they could add, for, dude, if they draft like Brees Hall or Kenneth Walker to Philly, like that's just gonna that, like the tier I have him in. I feel like it's pretty accurate. It's it's Sanders, Ramondre Stevenson, um, Melvin oh, Gordon. Yeah. Like once he signs, of course that matters where he signs. Daryl Henderson, Ronald Jones, Gus Edwards. These guys are all gonna have roles in their offense. Um, I think you could make an argument of that tier. Like if I was like grading myself here and being critical of myself, which I'm fine doing because I do dumb shit. Um, like I think that he probably has the most chance out of everybody I just named to lead his backfield and carries. I, I think that's a fair. Like he's got a better chance than Ramondre Stevenson, Melvin Gordon, Daryl Henderson, Ronald Jones, or Gus Edwards in leading their team in rushing attempts. Like so. I think. I may be a tad rough on him here. I think my favorite tier you have is 5A, just two running backs, Alexander Madison and Khalil Herbert. 
A-plus handcuffs. These guys could legitimately be RB1s if Dalvin Cook you know, or Dave Montgomery go down. And like, look at that best-case scenario upside. That's why you're drafting Madison and Herbert ahead of guys like J.D. McKissick, Kenneth Gamewell, James White, Naeem Hines. Like, there's no... There's an endless amount of injuries that need to happen for those scat backs to ever have, you know, a role that's even. And it's a it's close. a it's a roster construction strategy. So say mm-hmm. you're in a draft and you decide, hey, I'm gonna do the zero RB thing the way the ball the way the uh, board falls to you. You love what's happening, and let's say you start off receiver receiver. You snag your tight end. Talking best ball here. Maybe you've already got a you know you grab one running back. Then maybe you got a quarterback on board. And now you got a no bat, you got to come back and hit running backs. Like you're going to grab a few guys like that you know can just give you points, but you have to have some big time swings for upside if the starter goes down. And so I think that's where Madison and Khalil Herbert, you know, fit in. Tony Pollard, you could call the same thing, but we know he can also give you some standalone value. And maybe in the new coaching staffs, Madison and Herbert end up giving you a little more like Pollard uh, with the flex standalone value. Uh, That remains to be seen. Final note, I just want to shout out, Deontay Foreman might actually be uh, the handcuff to check out for Christian McCaffrey um, in Carolina. They went ahead and, you know, didn't bring back Amir Abdullah. And as we've seen with Abdullah, he has uh, helped crater Alexander Madison and then more recently Chuba Hubbard's uh, handcuff value just by being annoyingly involved on passing down. So we've seen Carolina, you know, first, most notably, obviously, with Christian McCaffrey. Even Chuba, for a brief stretch, they obviously didn't trust him much as a pass catcher. I know Foreman isn't exactly, you know, the world's greatest his pass catcher in his own right, but he did great out uh, pretty well doing so. I think he's capable enough, you know, with checkdowns and screens and stuff like that. So, man, I don't think I don't think we're getting much standalone value, but hey, maybe they do decide to cut back a little bit on McCaffrey's early down roll. Either way, I mean, again, we look at those running backs, those the big six situations again in the league where a guy could be playing almost every single snap. Should probably be paying attention to who that RB two is because they're going to have an awful lot of upside should something go wrong. Yeah, and I think that's definitely one to pay attention to. Like for me, I felt like Foreman and Chuba probably split a lot of it if McCaffrey goes down. But yeah. as camp goes along, if we start to hear like, you no, know, this is really number two is Foreman. Like and Chuba's just not really doing much. Like I, I think then, like, do we potentially move a guy like Foreman closer to that, you know, Madison Herbert kind of tier? That's going to wrap up this edition of the PFF Fantasy Football Podcast. We'll be back tomorrow talking all things wide receivers. I think I'll probably, you know, before free agency, I did a article on like the projected pecking order for every team. So I'll probably update that um, and just try to get a good feel. Because, again, you know, we're going to see some situations. Guys like Darnell Mooney, Brandon Cooks, where it's like, no, are they a top 10 wide receiver in the league? No, I think we can all agree on that. But, man, you start looking at the target projections and nobody else to throw the ball to uh, in those passing games, you can start wrapping your mind around getting you know more so on them versus a number three uh potentially in a better offense so more conversations ahead Dwayne anything else related to running backs or just anything in life man that you want to get off your chest <laughs> no I know we're already running over and people don't want to listen to two hours every time uh, well actually they give us the good feedback that they liked for three hours yeah. but but no man we'll be back tomorrow we got plenty to, to talk about with uh you know the receivers um, if you guys want to see the full tiers article, it will be up tomorrow morning on PFF. Like I'm just wrapping that up this afternoon and getting it sent over. Uh, the editing team is probably looking at me going, dude, this was due an hour ago. So my bad guys, 
Um, almost done with it. But the rookies are all in there. I know we didn't spend any time on them today because you're, you're still going to do some research on them next week. But there is a tier. Basically, um, after that, Daryl Henderson, Melvin Gordon, Ronald Jones tier that we talked about that's got Zamir White, Rashad White, James Cook, Brian Robinson, Tyler Algier, Damian Pierce. So basically all the guys that could go between like pick 100 and pick 145, basically um, based on expected draft position. And then I've got even later round rookies uh, down in another tier, 6A. So if you guys are wanting to see where the rookies are, you can see that. You can also go back and check out, um, if you just uh, Google for Dwayne McFarlane PFF rookie running back grades, like you can go in and you'll actually see uh, where I actually do a more deep dive into all the rookies because I'm not going to like go back into them all again in my tiers <laughs> article. I'm going to hit on some of these other guys for you. Um, but I'll throw the link in that article too so you guys can see it. But that article is still, uh, you know, it's up to date with all the latest information as well. At Dwayne McFarlane on Twitter. And yeah, shout out to our lovely PFF editorial crew, Danny, Mark, and John. I had like a mini panic attack. Not, not a real one. I, I hear they're terrible, so I don't want to make a lot of panic attacks. But uh, Dwayne, I, I did my uh, rankings and I, dude, I, I just had the massive brain fart. Like I ranked Leonard Fournette RB5. So I was fully aware he was back on the Buccaneers. But like the next day I came back to update it. And for some reason, my mind's like, why do I have Keyshawn Vaughn so low? Like he'd be the RB1 if the season started tomorrow, like blanking on it. I added like one blurb and I read like Keyshawn Vaughn's name at like midnight last night somewhere. And I was just like, oh my God, is that in the article uh, live? Because I'm a freaking idiot and left it there. Thank you, Danny Cross, for taking that out and saving me some uh, much needed or not some. What I did not need was getting yelled at by a bunch of people on Twitter for making a stupid mistake. So, love having the editorial crew having our backs. For Dwayne, I'm Ian. Thanks as always for tuning in to PFF Fantasy Football Podcast. And until next time, take care, everybody. Thank you.